Hello, this is ASEAN Speaks podcast by Maybank. Inflation is easing in Malaysia and Singapore. Is this enough to pause central bank actions? And for ASEAN, the elephant in the room question, does China need to turbocharge its economy? Meanwhile, looking at the top currency trades, will the Japanese yen continue to slide vis-à-vis the US dollar? Also, will ringgit weaknesses persist? Suhaimi Ilyas, our chief economist, moderates the discussion. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, 26th June. Last week, global equity markets were in retreat. MSCI World Index down nearly 2%. NASDAQ recorded its first weekly loss in two months. Uh, S&P 500 posted its first weekly drop in six weeks. Um, hawkish soundbites and actions by major central banks dominated last week's headlines. Signs that further US Fed rate hikes weigh on sentiment. In his te- testimony, uh, before Congress on Wednesday and Thursday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell stated that it would be appropriate to raise interest rates further by the end of the year. To recap, the Fed's latest dot plot projection after the FOMC meeting on 13-14 June point to additional 50 basis point hikes in second half of this year. On Thursday, the Bank of England raised the interest rate by larger than expected 50 basis point to 5%, the highest level since 2008. This is as UK headline inflation failed to slow down for the fourth month in a row, sticking at 8.7% in May, while core inflation that excludes volatile food and energy prices accelerated to a 31-year high of 7.1% from 6.8% in April. Uh, Norway's central banks, the Norges Bank, also raised interest rate by 50 basis points to 3.75%. This is also the highest level since 2008 and indicated that it will most likely hike again in August to curb inflation that is markedly above target. In addition, the Swiss National Bank raised its benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points to 1.75%. That's the fifth consecutive increase and did not rule out additional rate hike. Uh, key US economic data released last week were mixed, hence the challenge dilemma facing US Fed's monetary policy. Uh, on Friday, for example, US manufacturing PMI in June fell to below 50, signaling contraction. It's lowest level since December as well, while uh, weekly jobless claims hit 264,000 but U.S. at the highest level in over a year and well above forecast, while sales of existing homes also came in better than expected. Uh, recession worries were the main topic in Europe last week after the flash Eurozone composite PMI fell to a five-month low of 50.3 in June from 52.8 in May. Um, meanwhile, in China, monetary and Fiscal stimulus were the headlines last week amid concerns about the economic outlook given the disappointing post-pandemic recovery so far. Uh, People's Bank of China cuts its medium-term lending facility rates by 10 basis points, while Beijing unveiled a four-year tax break for purchases of new electric vehicles. Uh, The announcement was widely expected after the State Council earlier this month called for extension and optimization of tax breaks on EV purchases to boost output and demand. Within ASEAN, uh, Philippine central banks and Indonesian central bank kept interest rate unchanged, 
while Singapore and Malaysia reported slower headline inflation rates for the month of May. Uh, this week, Fed Chairman Powell, ECB President Lagarde and Bank of England's Governor Bailey will be on several speaking engagements, so market will be tuning to that. Uh, Thursday, we'll see release of China's composite PMI for June. Um, markets will also be keenly waiting for US Fed's preferred inflation indicator, the private consumption expenditure or PCE price index for May on Friday, plus uh, Eurozone CPI for June. Uh, this morning will be a macro-heavy, macro-centric session as we have uh, Winston, Hartbin, Zamros, Brian and Andy to basically talk about interest rates, inflation rates and exchange rates. And they will be joined uh, by Jackie. He will speak on Philippines market strategy. Uh, let's start with Hartbin uh, on Singapore macro, specifically Singapore inflation numbers for me out last week. Hartbin, uh, talk us through the numbers and what do the latest inflation figures tell us about Singapore's inflation outlook and what's the implication to MES policy? Hey, good morning, Suhaimi. So inflation um, eased in May, so pretty de uh, at a decent pace. Core inflation eased the lowest since June last year on softer services and food costs. Headline inflation was the softest since February last year, reflecting a fall in private transport and lower core inflation. So I think across the board, we do see a moderation in most of the components, including services costs, uh, lower uh, falling uh, holiday expenses, uh, slow increases in point-to-point -point transport services. So I think generally that's, uh, that's fairly encouraging. Still, um, core is at currently 4.7%. I mean, and um, headline is at 5.1%. So it's way above uh, most ASEAN countries and um, you know, remains above what MES wants to achieve. You know? So we are expecting uh, the MES to maintain the current appreciation stance at the October meeting um, until, uh, you know, inflation reaches closer to the kind of 2% kind of target range. Uh, um, I also think that uh, we'll get the manufacturing figures out today, but I think the softening inflation also could be a sign that consumers are feeling the pinch from higher prices and probably pulling back on some of their earlier revenge splurge after the reopening. So with the today's manufacturing figures, we'll get a sense whether a technical recession uh, is possible. Uh, but looking at the recent uh, monthly figures, there seems to be quite a high risk that uh, Singapore may have slipped into a technical recession for the second quarter. Uh, again, I think the worry is over the core inflation side, which is a bit more sticky. And um, just bear in mind that um, you know a lot of the measures like the progressive wage model uh, was introduced to larger sectors, including food services, waste management, you know, stuff like drivers since March. And this, I think, is still uh, leading to some pass-through of the... Harbin, um, um, can just um, indicate to us what do you think about MES uh, expectation that you know uh, inflation, especially core inflation in Singapore, will decelerate perhaps quite sharply uh, by end of this year? Do you share that sentiment? And also maybe remind us, although Singapore does not have explicit inflation target, but what would be, I suppose, the implicit target or desirable level of inflation as far as Singapore is concerned? So I think uh, a comfort range will be around the 2%, fall down to about 2.5% by end of the year. Uh, currently, core is at 4.7%. 
So I think um, the main point is to highlight that the current appreciation stance has actually curbed imported price pressures. So when you look at the imported price index for Singapore, it's actually in contraction. You know? So most of the inflation pressures is coming from the domestic side. In particular, I think the tight labor market and rising services costs. Um, I'm a bit skeptical on whether um, the services costs and also the you know wage cost pressures will come down as quickly. And I suspect that pipe may be a bit more elevated than what the MAS is projecting. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I uh, agree probably on the headline inflation coming off, but uh, I think less clear uh, on the on the wage cost pressures, partly because of all the measures they are introducing. Right, thanks, Harbin. Uh, Let's move on to Zamros on Malaysia inflation stats for May also out last week. Um, so same line of questions to you, Zamros. Uh, how was inflation last month? What's your outlook? Uh, for the rest of the year, and what's the house view on BNM's OPR given the upcoming MPC meeting on fifth and sixth of uh, July? Uh, hi, good morning, Swami. Uh, morning, everyone. Yeah, uh, the uh, Malaysia inflation, headline inflation, uh, continue to ease further uh, in May to uh, two point eight percent from three point three percent in April. Uh, that makes the for the first five months of this year. Headline uh, inflation at three point four percent, but the thing is, despite uh, the, the the quite relatively large drop in headline inflation, uh, core inflation uh, just dropped by uh, by a tad to three point five percent in May, uh, from three point six percent in uh, April. So, which makes the for the first five months of this year, uh, core inflation at three point eight percent, which is uh, significantly higher from the uh, the three percent. Uh, core inflation for the whole of last year, so so basically, uh, uh, it was a, a broad based uh, easing in 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 uh, across the board uh, in headline uh, inflation, whereby the transport uh, cost uh, uh, eased to one percent from two point three percent in April, mainly because of the base effect, moderated to five point nine percent from six point three percent. And importantly, uh, I think the services sector also uh, stays below four percent for the for the uh, second consecutive month at three point six percent from three point nine percent in April, but uh, it remained uh, elevated from historical uh, perspective. Uh, so overall, uh, we are taking the view that the uh, monthly inflation for Malaysia to stay uh, below three uh, percent for the rest of this year. Uh, mainly because of the uh, base effect, but the thing side uh, seen in Malaysia and as well as the current performance of uh, ringgit uh, against the uh, US dollar. And as far as the uh, uh, OPR uh, uh, concern, uh, despite the uh, headline inflation uh, encouragingly uh, moderating, uh, the core inflation continued to be uh, sticky. Uh, which uh, we think uh, we are not ruling out for another uh, 25 basis point rate hike by Bank Negara uh, to 3.25%. Uh, I think uh, this is going to be uh, potentially to take place uh, on the next uh, uh, meeting on the 5th, on the 6th of uh, July of this year. Uh, two things, uh, mainly because uh, Bank Negara has been uh, describing the current OPR level of 3% as uh, slightly accommodative. And uh, secondly, 
the monetary policy statement uh, in, in the previous one, uh, continue to see uh, the uh, need to ensure uh, monetary policy stance uh, to be appropriate to prevent the risk of future uh, financial imbalance, which we think uh, uh, financial imbalance uh, relates uh, to the performance of ringgit, especially against US dollar, and the uh, interest rate differentials, especially with the uh, recent Fed uh, signals of a hawkish pause and a dot plot saying uh, for another 50 basis point rate hike uh, for this year. So I mean. Um, Ambrose, I want to move on to Philippines uh, because the central bank there maintained its benchmark interest rate for the second consecutive policy meeting last week. What is BSP saying about its interest rate path going forward, especially given the hawkish US Fed? Also, was there anything said or any guidance given on the banking system's reserve requirement ratio or triple R, given the 250 basis point cut earlier this month? Yeah, BSP uh, continue to keep uh, the uh, policy rate unchanged at six point two five percent. This is the second consecutive uh, meeting that they keep it unchanged. Uh, basically, uh, BSP uh, adjusted downward slightly their inflation forecast for this year uh, to five point four percent from five point five percent, mainly because of the uh, better than expected. Uh, slowdown in uh, headline inflation between March and May this year. And they continue uh, to see the headline inflation to return to their target range of between uh, 2 to 4% by the end of this year. And during the press conference, the uh, Governor Medaya did uh, specifically mention that they expect uh, the uh, headline inflation to return between the target range uh, between uh, October and November this year. Uh, secondly, the uh, the uh, governor uh, continue uh, to uh, stress of the likelihood of BSP to stand pat uh, to keep the uh, policy rate unchanged uh, for two or three meetings. So this is already uh, two meetings of policy unchanged. Uh, that's why we expect uh, for the next meeting in August they're going to keep it uh, uh, unchanged as well. And the uh, the during the press conference, the governor also uh, said that they prefers to see uh, headline inflation uh, to stay below four percent for at least uh, two consecutive months uh, before considering uh, monetary policy easing. So these are the things which uh, continue to support our view uh, for BSP to keep the policy rate unchanged uh, for the rest of uh, this year. And as far as the triple R concern, uh, nothing. Uh, mentioned about uh, the triple R uh, and no guidance given, but we think that they are done with the uh, uh, triple R cut uh, of 250 basis point announced uh, earlier this month to be effective of uh, effective on the 30th of June, which uh, which which is in line and in conjunction with expiry of the uh, incentive or schemes uh, during the COVID. Uh, whereby the uh, the banking systems uh, loans to uh, MSMEs uh, are considered as a compliance uh, to the reserve requirement ratio. So I mean, yeah. Thanks, uh, Zamros. Let's let's move on to um, China. Uh, Brian, PBOC has been busy. I think since March this year, cutting interest rates, cutting RRR. 
what's the latest data is saying about China's economy? And do you think the indicators warrant more easing by PBOC? Uh, morning, everyone. Yeah, so latest data out of China is saying that uh, economy continues to recover, but the recovery remains patchy and uneven with uh, the momentum cooling. Uh, basically, muted com consumer and business confidence are acting as constraints against a quick post-pandemic recovery. The soft labor market with uh, record high youth unemployment and a stuttering property market may be cooling household sentiment, leading households to be cautious with their spending. Uh, private investment has been tepid as firms uh, face muted demand, an industrial profit slump, and also uh, concerns about uh, tighter regulation. Um, exports are posing an additional headwind to the economy amid slowing global growth. Yeah, we do think that there is a case for further easing uh, by the PBOC to um, help prop up the recovery. So so far, um, as uh, as you know, uh, the PBOC has cut um, the uh, cut the, the MLF uh, as well as the, I mean, along with it, the one and five year LPRs by 10 basis points. Uh, and, um, and, and the triple R had been cut by 25 basis points in March. So our base case is for a further 25 basis points cut to the triple R uh, in the third quarter, which will free up more uh, liquidity for banks to boost lending as uh, more medium-term lending funds uh, actually mature from August. And on the interest rate front, we also expect a further 10 basis points cut to the one and five-year LPRs in the late third quarter or in the fourth quarter. Um, Brian, do, do you think PBOC will the only one doing all the heavy lifting in stimulating the economy or do you see fiscal policy will also increasingly share the burden as well uh, going forward? I mean, and in that sense, what policies are you expecting on the fiscal front, especially after last week announcement of the uh, extension of the tax incentives for EV purchases? Uh, sure. Yeah, um, yeah, we don't. We actually don't think monetary policy alone is uh, is sufficient as uh, interest rate cuts and more credit supply will have uh, in limited impact on domestic demand amid the um, the climate currently, which is muted household and business confidence. So in this case, we do think that the government will step in with, uh, with some fiscal support, uh, extension of tax breaks for EV purchases to encourage uh, electric vehicle adoption, as you mentioned. So other possible measures on the cuts could be more funding from for infrastructure, spending and high-tech uh, manufacturing investments via, let's say, uh, policy bank lending, uh, and also um, uh, more property support measures uh, to prop up, uh, to basically support the, uh, support, support the housing market recovery, such as uh, easing mortgage rates, uh, down payment requirements, uh, relaxing home purchase curbs, and also relending support for completion of home construction. Uh, that said, we are not expecting a flood of uh, fiscal stimulus uh, amid uh, concerns about excessive leverage financial stability and also overheating consequences. Uh, we therefore think that the short-term impact of fiscal stimulus may be uh, rather modest and just enough to keep the growth ticking over so that the government achieves its 5% uh, uh, GDP target. But nonetheless, I just wanted to point out that the fiscal measures being considered will also bring about longer-term benefits for the economy. Uh, to give an example, new infrastructure investments may be focused towards uh, uh, high-tech manufacturing and renewable energy generation. And this uh, will help 
to uh, actually bolster technological uh, capabilities and energy uh, security over the longer term. Right, uh, Brian, in relation to that, um, just want to ask you about a uh, situation concerning China's GDP growth. I mean, obviously, second quarter GDP for this year will come out soon, next month. I don't think the number would necessarily disappoint, but largely because of the fact that second quarter last year, China economy hardly grew because of another round of lockdown. So I guess the number for second quarter GDP for China would be better than first quarter, technically speaking, but would the number be something of a, a case of flattering to deceive because the worry would be what would China GDP growth looks like in the second half of this year? And what would be the implication to your view about this year's growth? And would all the monetary and fiscal stimulus you mentioned just now that has happened and coming our way would be supportive of China's economic growth, especially next year? Uh, yeah, so uh, basically for the second quarter GDP, yeah, you're right. Um, it's uh, definitely there'll be a base effect flattering because of the lockdowns last year. Uh, possibly second quarter GDP can 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 come in at uh, around seven percent roughly or so. Uh, yeah, but that still I think that wouldn't actually uh uh necessarily be an optimistic signal because uh even though you have uh the um growth being buoyed by base effects but then momentum has been slowing uh, i mean so far you have been seeing uh uh rather strong like for instance retail sales uh uh growth for the uh for the for the, the month but i mean that doesn't change the fact that in terms of the the in terms of the it just reflects a, a low base from last year um so we are expecting growth in the second uh, in the second half to uh to actually slow amid uh, the fading reopening tailwinds uh this uh, issue of uh, a low confidence uh, in the economy i mean low business and consumer confidence is uh, not uh, can't immediately be solved although uh, towards the year end, perhaps you might see that with uh, uh, gradually improving labor market, things could start to improve. And yeah, I mean, in terms of um, in terms of fiscal support, as I said, uh, the um the intention I think is not to really power a, a very very strong post pandemic recovery. Uh, I don't think they want to achieve. I I don't think. I think you need to strike a balance because uh like basically even if the they, they don't necessarily want a very, very strong cyclical recovery at the cost of uh financial stability and leverage. Yeah, so but I think next year it's uh uh, uh I think that I do think that fiscal support will have longer term impact, so it should continue flowing through uh and just support the private sector recovery into next year. As I said, I do think that uh, that that the recovery will slowly become more endogenous with an improving labor market. I think fiscal policy just is the supporting uh, factor in in uh, uh, coming along with it. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. We will continue to keep an eye on the elephant in the room. Uh, Winston, you issued Malaysia's fixed income outlook for second half. Uh, first and foremost, how has Malaysia's fixed income market performed last quarter and for that matter year to date? Was it in line with your earlier outlook and expectations? And for the second half of this year, what will be the dynamics driving the local bond market and the key things to watch? I guess pre presumably the main thing here is BNM's OPR. 
and what's your recommended strategy to investors? Hi, morning, Sir Jaime. Yeah, I would say the first half uh, and also the second quarter has um, played out largely in line with our expectation. We expected a stronger performance and we have seen a stronger performance uh, this year so far. 10-year yields, 10-year uh, MGSU are down slightly, uh, both year to date and also in the second quarter. But there were also surprises like uh, the OPR hike uh, in May. Uh, this caused the MGS curve uh, to flatten. On a year-to-date basis, uh, Malaysia government bonds has returned in total about 4% year-to-date. This outperformed cash, uh, which is up uh, 1.5%, and also outperformed equities, uh, which is down by about uh, 5%. So I would say the performance is quite uh, commendable uh, because in Malaysia, obviously, we don't have high inflation problem like the US or many developed economies. So BNM doesn't need to hide rate as aggressively. And also local demand for bonds has been strong, especially from local pension funds. And also inflow, foreign inflow, surprisingly large year to date, despite the weaker ringgit, because foreign investors can still get very attractive total return from ringgit bonds on an FX hedge basis. So looking into the second half, I think uh, given the hawkish surprise from major central bank uh, this month, like so I mean you mentioned earlier, uh, Bank of England high rate by a larger than expected 50 bips. And also earlier this month, we had surprise hike from Australia and Canada uh, when market expect them uh, to hold. So investors are also increasingly asking, uh, is BNM going to high rate again at the next meeting uh, in July? So we are going to watch on this uh, closely especially in the first week of July, which I would say is quite heavy on events. Uh, we have BNM and PC meeting on the 6th of July, which is a Thursday. And then the following day, uh, we have the US uh, non-farm payroll. So under a bearish scenario, uh, we think 10-year um, MGSU can go to around, let's say, 4%. I don't think it will um, because um, a bearish scenario is not is not my base case. But if it did, um, it would offer buying opportunity. So yeah, overall, we continue to recommend investors to buy MGS uh, on weakness uh, because between now and year end, uh, we think cyclical factors will drive you lower uh, by the end of the year. Uh, Winston, can you remind us on your forecast for MGS and US Treasury 10-year yields? Yeah. We expect 10-year MGS yield to go down to 3.5% and also the 10-year Treasury yield to go down to 3% by the end of the year. Thanks, uh, Winston. Let's move on to Andy and FX. Um, a recent note on FX Insight issued last Friday focus on Japanese yen with inflation rising, but BOJ's ultra-easy monetary policy staying amid the hawkish signals and actions by other major central banks, uh, yen closed almost 144 against dollar last Friday. Actually, not far off the 146 level that triggered BOJ's FX market intervention uh, September last year. So what's your outlook for Japanese yen and your thoughts on BOJ's monetary policy and FX intervention? Uh, morning, Shami. Yeah, yeah. So we re released a note highlighting a change in our uh, dollar yen forecast because of um, 
uh, a number of changes, uh, negative factors that persisted quite well and only slightly we think we'll recede only in first quarter of 2024. So we're revising our forecast to end this year somewhere between 140 to 150 range, but the spot level is about 142, which is about 10 yen higher than our previous 133 for end of the year. Um, one of the main reasons, I think, to answer your question about the monetary policy and uh, intervention, the negative factors, uh, one of it is in terms of monetary policy. I think BOJ is staying stubbornly dovish. It seems like an increasing possibility that uh, BOJ is not going to make any policy adjustments uh, in or within 2023. Ueda seems to sound very dovish as he stated that the uh, inflation rate will undershoot 2% going forward and hence uh, BOJ is not probably not going to move towards policy normalization. I think the YCC uh, part, uh, the side effects he mentioned have been lessening somewhat. So all that actually uh, together with him continuously mentioning that BOJ would uh, patiently maintain easy monetary policy is one reason. Uh, second is in terms of um, uh, tightening risk for other developed markets and central banks have actually risen uh, the widening of the yield gap, which have actually led to yen continue to be weakening. And we've heard from Vincent and others uh, that we expect further hikes from Bank of Canada, RBA and BOE that doesn't help on the yen front in terms of bullishness because on the uh, market front in terms of positioning, I think we don't see yen bulls uh, looking to, I think the yen bulls in the market seems to have capitulated or weakened. We think it's unlikely they will return soon. It's actually costly, extremely costly to go long on the yen at this point, uh, given the immense uh, rate differential. The, the fourth point you want to mention is intervention uh, by BOJ would, uh, we think would be limited somewhat. The last known intervention by BOJ was back in October 2022, about eight months ago. And that was around that 145, 140, yeah, 147 range that you mentioned, uh, which is a level they are known to come in at 2022. Uh, our view is, I think at the moment, uh, we think unlikely that BOJ will intervene just yet. Uh, for now, MWF seems like they are giving minor warnings. Now. Um, the last point I just want to highlight on BOJ, on yen, is that there are indications that dollar yen could still move higher. Uh, Treasury, GJB, five-year yield spreads uh, shows that dollar yen is still trading below where it should be and there could be potential of it hitting 147 anything 150 151 is the next uh, next technical so it is a possibility of it going higher so i mean i mean andy since you're on the air i have to ask you what's your view on ringgit which continue to be you know pushed lower against major currencies like dollar pound sterling euro sing dollar you name it has the ringgit weakness gone too far or is there far to go yeah, so I, I think it has gone a bit uh, overshot what will the levels that we are expecting. I just want to remind everyone, our forecast for end of year, uh, currently as of uh, the last monthly that we have is about 425 to 430 range. Um, uh, we think that, uh, I think developments have arose that uh, together with the Fed, the central banks in the region, that's one reason with the changes out of the Fed, BOE and um, other major central banks, uh, looks like they're going to persist uh, with their rate hikes. There's a bigger risk of that. So that narrative will probably going to hog the limelight probably for next week and into the next few months. And that doesn't bode well for dollar ringgit and dollar Asians in general. So that's one reason. Uh, the other thing is, I think in terms of uh, renminbi, um, I think it's um, it's right to say in some ways, uh, ring dollar ringgit or ringgit is dragged weaker by the, the weaker CNY. Over the past month, I think uh, Ringgit has underperformed uh, uh, non-Japan Asia currencies alongside uh, CNY. 
I think that close affinity is one reason the deep trade ties. Uh, I think it's one reason ringgit CNY cross trades have been quite stable within the range of 152, 160. But what's interesting is that reserves, uh, Malaysian FX reserves have actually remained steady at around 115 billion this year. Uh, and that suggests that I think in terms of uh, compared to 2022, there was a 12 billion drop uh, in reserves or intervention, uh, reflecting intervention back in 2022. This time around, there aren't any. So which suggests there's still some further room to go and uh, BNM's leaning against the wind activity seems to be limited somewhat, which suggests that we could see further weakness. We we are relooking into the forecast for dollar ringgit, so I mean, uh, probably in potentially revising it towards that 455 to 475 range from our current um, 425 to 435 range uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, so I mean, as on the back of, we think that I think extended uh, moves on the central banks, uh, yield differentials, I think in terms of balance of trades or current account, uh, increase in outward FDI and investment income outflows uh, is I don't think will majorly change over the next six months. Uh, and also in terms of foreign equity, net foreign equity outflows uh, out of Malaysia is quite distinct compared to China, Korea, Taiwan, India and Indonesia, which have seen some inflow. So uh, we, we need to look at whether the, those will be extended even further into the next six to 12 months. But my sense is I think it's going to be um, unlikely going to see improvement in the portfolio flows front. Uh, we may need to see some revisions to the dollar ringgit. So I mean. Yeah, thanks, uh, Andy. Uh, let's move on to Jackie. Um, Jackie, your latest strategy note highlighted that feedback from our Invest ASEAN 2023 event last week showed investors remain, I suppose, receptive, constructive on Philippines equity market, but market liquidity is a key stumbling block. Are there measures by regulators to address this particular issue and do you think it will be enough or more is needed? Or is it the case that you know investors need to see a confluence of factors, macro policies, earnings to be aligned for them to be convinced? Hi, good, mo good morning, Sohaimi. So with the Philippines' average daily turnover drastically being almost halved from its uh, 100 million US dollar uh, a day peak in 2013, which in itself isn't huge to begin with, I think investors need all the firepower they can get. Fortunately, uh, the market's earnings performance has been there since 4Q 2021. Uh, so we are only left with about two missing ingredients. Recently, uh, specific flow-driven policies, uh, flow-positive policies have been put on the table, first by the local stock exchange, which has been pushing uh, for allowing uh, short selling, and second by the Congress, which is proposing the creation of a sovereign wealth fund. Uh, both should at the very least stimulate buying activity in the market, which should improve overall liquidity. But I think the bigger push would come from the respective rate cuts, uh, which we expect by next year, uh, which should trigger an asset reallocation among local funds, uh, which now account for about 55 to 60 percent of the market by as early as 4Q 2023, creating a much needed and sustainable momentum in the market, which for foreign investors need. Jackie, what's Philippine stock that you are recommending to investors and what's the reason? I presume liquidity is one of the factors as well. Yes, correct. Uh, we still like consumption and mobility-driven names. Uh, we like SM Investments, uh, BTO, uh, GT Capital, Bloomberry, uh, Universal Rubino Corporation, and Globe. But out of these, um, SM Investments, BDO, and Globe are fairly liquid, uh, trading with an average daily turnover of about 4 to $8 million, uh, which we think uh, should be uh, very much playable for uh, foreign investors. 
Yeah, thanks, Jackie. And thanks, Thank everyone, you. for dialing in this morning. Um, that's it for today, and have a good week ahead. Speak to your trading rep and check out Market Insights on the Maybank Trade app for our research reports. Have a good week ahead. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank.